Would you please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2? Philippians chapter 2. And please stand if you're, if you're able. Here's the word of the Lord. Philippians 2, verse 19 through 24. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be authentically concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Oh, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will also come. Please be seated. Lord, we beg you the, the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And as I was thinking about Thanksgiving, we have so much to thank the Lord. It's amazing how gracious, benevolent, merciful our God is. That's why Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. Always give thanks. There are always reasons to thank the Lord. And He's always working in other people's lives. And as we are looking at other people's lives, we can thank the Lord for working in our brothers and sisters' lives. And His benevolence, His goodness, Paul says that God provides and supplies all our needs. In Romans 8.32, Paul says, He, referring to the Father, who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us. How will He not, with Christ, give all things to us? All things that we need to grow into Christ's likeness. Think about the Father, the, the beauty, the generosity of the Trinity. The Father gives the Son. The Son gives the Spirit. I'm going, but I have to go in order to give you the parakletos, the other comforter. The Father gives the Son, the Son gives the Spirit, the Spirit gives us life, the Spirit gives us illumination, the ability to understand God's special revelation, God's special revelation that's all about His redemption, saving us. And it's amazing because in Second Timothy chapter 3, Paul says that this thing here, God's Word is sufficient 
to equip us, to furnish us for every good work. Meaning, you don't need anything else besides the Scriptures. That's why when you come here, we do what? Wash you with the Scriptures. Because that's what God promises, that we will equip you for every good work. If that wasn't enough, God in His mighty benevolence gives us other means. And one of the most precious means of sanctification is what John Frame calls existential revelation. Existential revelation. And that means people living, breathing replicas of Christ... People whom we look at and we see how to live the demands of His special revelation. So God in His kindness gives us men and women in the church who are breathing replicas of our Lord. Men and women whose hearts are growing by grace into the likeness of Christ. And we can look at these people and we can see their hearts beating with the heart of Christ. And they seek the interest of Christ. And we can look at these people and we must imitate them. Replicate them throughout the church. Breathing replicas of what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel. And let me tell you, we have many breathing replicas in this church of what it means to conduct a life worthy of the gospel. We have many examples in this church. Therefore, you have no excuse. You have the responsibility of calling those whom you see that are replicas of Christ and spend time with them. Seek them. Bother them. Say, I want to be with you. Because I see in you a faithful replica, not a perfect, but a faithful replica of Paul, Timothy, Christ. That's what I did in college. I had a wonderful professor. He was the quietest he is, the quietest man I have ever met. Right, Rachel? <laughs> Super shy. But he was the greatest professor I had. He was so shy, he used the, the old style technique of speaking public, so he would never look at people's eyes. Always to the wall. And I told him, I need to meet with you. I need to be with you. So I would go to his office and sit down and just say, I just want to watch what you do. That's it. This passion for the exposition of the Scriptures truly comes from him. It was his class teaching Romans, teaching Hebrews, verse by verse. That for me, it was just, wow, that's life. And I would bother him and say, Lenny, I want to spend time with you. I'm coming to your office this afternoon. Great. 
Sometimes I would just sit down there. He would not say anything. And I would watch him. Sometimes he would say, hey, I need your help grading these papers. And you guys have the responsibility of doing the same. You call people. I need to be with you. I can see you following after Christ. And I want to learn from you. And that's what Paul is doing here in Philippians chapter 2. You can see in verses 19 through 25. He gives us two breathing replicas of what it means to have the mind of Christ. To walk in humility. At first sight, as you first read these verses, verse 19 through, 20, uh, through 30, you might think that's just a misplaced missionary report. Here's Paul, as always, talking about who he's sending and when he's sending to the church. But careful eyes will see a profound, beautiful treasure filled with theological and doctrinal principles for our lives. Frank Thuman, he says, this, this passage, it's an illustration of how two fellow believers, both well known to the Philippians, so they know Timothy, they know Epaphroditus, they know their flaws, they know their character. How two fellow believers can put into practice the principles of conduct that Paul has suggested the Philippians to follow. These two co-workers provide tangible evidence. That's very important what he says. Tangible evidence that the ethical principles implied in the gospel do not ask more than God gives the power to obey. Because sometimes I have heard people say, all right, you preach the scripture, but, but let's get to the greedy needy. We, we cannot do that. We cannot be like that. As if God is requiring from us something that He does not empower us to do in the gospel. And that's what Paul is showing us. No, no, no. What I'm asking you to do, you can do in Christ. And that's what Timothy and Epaphroditus show us. So, here's the... Let me skip this. Here's the, a very basic structure of verses 19 through 30. And first, Paul is explaining why he's sending Timothy, but not right away. And then verses 25 through 30, why he's sending Epaphroditus right away. That's how... It's structured. And let me skip and go to the outline. Here's what we are going to be following, just like last Lord's Day. First, who Paul is sending, and that's Timothy. Then why Paul is sending Timothy, and then when Paul is sending Timothy. That's the structure I'm going to review very briefly, and then move on to verse 22. I believe that's where I stopped last Lord's Day, or verse 21. So, who Paul is sending? That's verse 19 in the first part. So verse 19a, that means the first part of verse 19. And it says, Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. And you've got to keep the, the flow of the verses fresh in your mind because Paul just talked about his life being poured out as a 
drink offering as a sacrifice, meaning he's suffering, he's in chains, he might die at any moment. And at the same time, what is Paul doing? Underneath a blanket, just thinking about himself, drowning himself in his own sorrows. Poor me! Poor me! Is that what Paul is doing? Oh, I'm thinking about you. Even though I might die any moment, I'm suffering, I'm in chains. Might be a dungeon, we don't, we don't know where the prison was, but we know that Roman prisons were not a nice place to be. Yeah, Paul is saying, I'm thinking about you. And I'm sending the best to you soon. And he's about to send Timothy. Timothy, we saw, is Paul's feet, Paul's hands, Paul's mouth. And Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus. I hope in the Lord Jesus. His whole life is wrapped up in Christ. Is wrapped in Christ. His affections, his chains, his sufferings, and his hopes are all in Christ. Christ governs his life. And then we saw why Paul is sending Timothy. So we saw that Paul is sending Timothy, and then he explains why. And that's verse 19b, the second part of verse 19. And you see the so that, so that, so it's, He's explaining, here's the purpose why he's sending Timothy. So that I also may be cheered by news of you. So why is Paul sending Timothy? Yes, mutual encouragement. So I also, me too. You and me, I'm sending Timothy to encourage you, to make you rejoice, to gladden your heart. And at the same time, I also will rejoice. That's how they are united. You remember the word to be cheered. Eu suhe, good spirit. To be glad, to have courage. The implication of being released from anxiety. And that's beautiful to think. Paul, this giant for Christ. Always so bold. Stoned to death. Frequently beaten for Christ. Got in shipwreck. And yet he says... I get my joy in Christ when I get news that you are doing well spiritually. He has deep concerns and holy anxieties about the state of the local church. And good news about the church will release, will release Paul from his concerns and make his heart glad. It says that Paul is saying, when I get news... When I get the information about you, and I know that the information will be good, I know that when Timothy comes back, he's going to tell me that you all fought for your victory. 
You conquer the disunity. You put to death that pride, the self, selfish ambition that was reigning in your church. And when Timothy brings that good news, oh, that good news is going to be just like pliers destroying the chains that are tightening my heart right now. That's what Paul is telling them. So that's why he's sending Timothy to them. And then he explains why Timothy. So why he's sending Timothy and then why Timothy and no, not any other one. And that's in verse 20 and 21. So Paul says, For, here is explaining, For, I have no one, no one like Timothy. The word no one like him means that Paul has no one at that moment where he's at that shares the same love, affection, the same desire to, to, to see the Philippians growing as Paul. The NEASB has no one else of kindred spirit or the King James, no one like-minded. So Paul and Timothy, they share that same love, that same affection, that same zeal for God's people in general and the Philippians in particular. They both have the same mindset of seeking the interests of others. Do you remember what Paul earlier said? Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same affection. And here's Timothy. Imitate me and Timothy. We have the same mind, the same affection. And they both have the same concerns and healthy burden for caring for the welfare of the churches. Paul... Open your Bibles there. I think it's important. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Because you see, Paul just said that he has no one like Timothy who is authentically concerned, anxious for the welfare of that church. And Paul is implying that Timothy, like him, has this concern for the well-being of the church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul starts talking and defending his apostleship and he says, let me, let me show you my foolishness. Let me show you how crazy I can be and give you my credentials for how I'm an authentic apostle. And in chapter 11, you can see in verse 21, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, as a madman. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. So he starts talking about his pedigree. And then he starts talking about all his pain and his suffering for Christ. Verse 23, I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. 
Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was drift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. And our government is all about uh, safety, risk-free. And you're going to have to ignore the bird, the alarm there. <laughs> is that an alarm? Yeah. Look at all the dangers that Paul is going through. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And look at, look at verse 28. Here's the, the crown. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for what? For all the churches. That's the same Greek word that he used for Timothy. The anxiety, this burdening him. Paul is not losing his sleep because he doesn't know what he's going to make tomorrow. If he will be able to save money the next week. He loses sleep because of the welfare of the churches. So he says that Timothy shares the same holy anxiety. For all the churches. Timothy shares the inner emotional struggle with Paul. And the selfless concern for others. And that's all we are singing here. That beautiful hymn, I love thy kingdom, O Lord. For you, for her, my tears. I shall cry for her. For the church, my prayer shall ascend. And you can keep turning your pages to 1 Corinthians. So then you don't think that that's just for a, a very unique group of Christians. And you're going to see that's for all believers. All Christians. Look at chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. Verse 24. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same what? That's the same Greek word. Holy anxiety, burden, concern, care for one another. Let me ask you, when was the last time, when was the last time that you had to put away your agenda, your good plans that you had for the sake of the body, for the sake of the church? 
When was the last time that you had to sacrifice something that was actually good? Something that you were thinking about, you had planned. But because of the greater interest of our brothers and sisters, you said, actually, I'm going to have to put away this plan. When was the last time? If there was a last time. And this type of people, this type of lifestyle, where people are so concerned about others, seeking the interest of others instead of your own, You know these people. It's not hard to find them. It's not hard to, to figure out who they are. That's the people who, they're not busy complaining, murmuring, arguing. They're actually busy serving, doing. You know they're godly Anxiety for the well-being of the body, it's evident by how they talk, how they talk about the church, how they actively serve the church, how they give to the church, how they honor, and how they show themselves doers of the word and not only listeners. And we have a call to imitate these people. Follow them. Paul says, verse 21, for they, the rest here, for they all seek their own interests. I'll just ask you guys all to look at here, please. <laughs> Otherwise, it's pretty distracting. So if you, all you can help me here. <laughs> Verse 21. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And you can picture Paul here as he's looking around for other Christians that he could send to Philippi, and he's asking them, hey, would you be willing to go to Philippi and help me? And they are all giving lame excuses. Oh, I have a newborn baby at home, I cannot live right now. Oh, I need to take care of this and this, and I cannot live right now. Paul, that sounds really good, but right now it's just really hard for me. So much to do. It's harvest season. I cannot leave my, my farm behind. And what if I die? So Paul says, they're all seeking their own interests and not those of whom? Jesus Christ. So Paul places, seeking the welfare of the church is the same as seeking the welfare of Christ. Looking to the interest of Christ is to look to the interest of His people. And let me remind you that today, today you have a great opportunity. This week you have a great privilege of demonstrating this to other people. You can show your concern for others by calling them, inviting them over, spending time with them. Today you can do that. Today you can say, hey, come over, let's have lunch together. Or today I'm going to buy you lunch and I'm going to bless you and I want to spend time with you. For 
For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 22. Not Timothy. Not Timothy. Here's the contrast. But you know. You know Timothy. And they know Timothy very well. Because according to Acts chapter 16, Timothy was with Paul and Silas and Luke when they came to Philippi. So they know Timothy. So Paul says, but you know Timothy's proven worth. That's an important word. His proven worth. Dokme. Dokmatso. The word was first used for watching. Watching something. And then became, later was used for watching something to go through a test. As if you're watching someone being tested or if you're watching a metal being tested under fire. And the implication was that this person or this object that was being tested, you could see that was approved and proven authentic. And that's what Paul is talking about Timothy here. was tested and it's reliable, valuable. And through all the hard times and trials that Timothy went with, together with Paul, he was tested and Paul says, he came approved, reliable, trustworthy. Timothy had left everything behind to follow Christ. He left his mom, his grandma, his church in Lystra to live a life of who knows what with Paul. While others were running away from the battlefield, Timothy was running into the battlefield with Paul. That's what happened to John Mark, do you remember? What happened to John Mark? I need to go home. Too much. I'm not going back to Asia Minor with you, Paul. While John Mark is running away from the battlefield, Timothy is saying, I run into the battlefield with you, Paul. And that's exactly what Paul does. He takes Timothy with him. While others are seeking their own interests, Timothy was seeking the interest of others. And there is a beautiful lesson about missions. The American church has this idea that the people who should go to the mission field are rebellious children in the church in the hope that they will get saved in the mission field. So the American church has this idea that Okay, is your, is your teenager, your uh, young adult rebellious? Let's send him on a mission trip. In the hope that they will be saved. Paul sends the best to the mission field. The most reliable, the most, most trustworthy of men and women to the mission field. The mission field don't, it doesn't need unregenerated, rebellious kids. Or people who don't serve faithfully in the church. And maybe can find something to do somewhere else and enjoy uh, a nice place in Hawaii. Or maybe a nice resort place in, in Thailand. No. The most reliable, the most faithful, the most dependent people spiritually, those are the ones who should be going into the mission field. Amen? 
And those are the missionaries that we must be supporting. Men approved, stable. And you see that Timothy is an example that we all must imitate. A man who is stable, faithful. And there is a great lack in the church of stable men and women. Reliable men and women. Brothers and sisters, few are those whom you know that they're going to show up no matter what. And they're going to be there with joy. Because they are reliable, dependable. Oftentimes we forget, but that's a major, a major qualification for elders and deacons. To be tested and approved, reliable, dependable, faithful. You can go home and read the qualifications for elders and deacons in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And you're going to see that both of them, they need to be tested and approved, reliable, dependable, stable Christians. And that's something that after years in church, after years in pastoral ministry, when we talk about leaders... The leaders here know one of the first things I'm looking at is, is that person stable? Is that person stable? And that's so important. Do you know why? Stable spiritually, stable emotionally, stable sacrificially. Because we go through so much. People slandering us. You've got to sacrifice so much. People lying about you. Right then. Isn't that true? I don't know where Brian is, but Luke here, Rick. And if you don't have people who are stable, people who are like a roller coaster, that becomes dangerous to the body of Christ. You need stable, dependable men who will stand and will keep moving no matter how thick and how hard the storm is coming towards us. And that's something that I have heard from many of you, how you love the stability of this church. We might not know where we are going to be meeting, but you know we are going to be meeting. Amen? You might, know, you might not know where we are going to be gathering, but you know we are going to be gathering, and you know that the, there are going to be hymns, there are going to be singing, there will be prayers, and you know that the gospel is going to be proclaimed faithfully. Stability. We strive to imitate Timothy, Paul. So if you want a credibility in the church, you must show consistency. Emotional, spiritual, sacrificial, stability, consistency, reliability. In 1 Corinthians 4.17, Paul says the following about Timothy. My beloved and faithful child in the Lord. What is faithful but reliable? I can rely on Timothy. He's stable. He's faithful. And I would rather have three, four stable, reliable men 
than 404,000 unstable, undependable men. You never know if they're going to be with you in the gospel for the advancement of the gospel or not. And we need to be reminded that since Timothy was a young boy, a young boy, the church could see in the young man stability, dependability. Look in Acts. Acts chapter 16. We hear the following about Timothy. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And listen to this. He was well spoken of by the brothers at the Lystra and Iconium. Since he was a young man, I, I, I think that Timothy here is in his teens, because he was young. Since he was a young man, people in the church could look at Timothy and say, Wow, look at this young man. His stability in pursuing holiness. His dependability in serving the church. It's not like, Whoa, where is Timothy today? I thought he was going to come and help us. Where is he? Wow, Timothy, you look like a roller coaster, boy. Not Timothy. Serious about serving, reliable, faithful, not wobbly, unstable, and how we need, how we need more Timothy-like young man, young woman, old man, old woman in the church. Well spoken of, stable, faithful, reliable. So let me ask the young, the young people here, as we are thinking about Timothy. Do the members of this church see you as reliable, dependable? Do the members of this church speak well of your faithful service? Not just how cute you are, how nice you are, but how faithful you are, how reliable you are. Proven. That's what Timothy was. But you know Timothy and his proven worth. He was tested and he was approved. And we see so many celebrities, they profess to be Christians in one day, the next day they're preaching everywhere. It's amazing. Just because the person was famous, as soon as he becomes professed to be a Christian, he's speaking everywhere. Never taking the time to be tested under fire. Sitting under the solid teaching. Be accountable in a local congregation. So that's why you see that as fast as they go up, as fast as they come down. Well, Paul says, But you know Timothy's proven worth. How? As a son with a father... He has served with me in the gospel. Paul often speaks about Timothy as his son. 
And Paul sees Timothy as his spiritual son. And it's important for us to think through the relationship between father and son in ancient times, contrasting with today, before the Industrial Revolution, before the Industrial Revolution, the sons, 98% of the time would follow the steps of their fathers. So if the father was a farmer, what would the son be? A farmer. If the father was a, a... a piano maker, what would the son be? A piano maker. And that's, that's why so many business would carry the name of the family. So if your name was Ford, you knew that you were going to be working in building cars. Therefore, the son would spend time with his father in order to learn this skill. And that's all we see. Timothy spends time with Paul, following his steps and learning how to labor for the church, how to serve the church. And I know sometimes people coming from a Roman Catholic background, they have a really hard time with the father aspect. And they always run to Matthew chapter 6 and say, you see, Jesus says, do not call anyone your father. Yeah, but if you keep going that passage, Jesus also says to not pray in public, so you've got to be very careful. Because he's fighting something right there. And he's not contradicting the rest of the scriptures. Just like the Roman Catholic leaders who demand you to call them father, there was a demand among the Pharisees to call them father. And that's not the, the, a healthy understanding of the New Testament teachers. Actually, the New Testament teaches the responsibility of more mature men and more mature women to take under care, their care, more immature ones who are seeking help. So you read Titus, the, the letter to Titus, chapter 2 and 3, you see that taking place there. Paul did to Timothy what Timothy's natural father could not do. Timothy's father, his natural father, was not a believer. And that was the responsibility of fathers in ancient times to provide education for their kids. And that's exactly what Paul is doing. He's adopting Timothy spiritually. Now he's, Timothy is his son. And as is the responsibility of fathers, according to Ephesians chapter 6, fathers, train up your your children, raise them in the fear of the Lord. That's exactly what Paul does to Timothy as his son. Through the gospel, the Spirit of God brought Paul and Timothy together. They had different backgrounds, and yet now they're part of the same family, and Paul serves as a father to Timothy. But here what is... Interesting is how he develops that. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I think that's a poor translation because the verb served there is not diaconel, but it's actually dolel, from where we have dolos. That means to fulfill the duties of a slave. 
how as a son with a father he has fulfilled his duties of a slave with me in the gospel. Paul calls himself a slave of Christ. Therefore, his son is going to be what? King. Lord. No, he's going to be a slave also. So Paul taught how to be a faithful slave of Christ. So we see in these words, taking us back to chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, and then connect us with the rest of the letter, where we see Timothy being a replica of Jesus Christ, a slave, one who is not looking to his own interests. So he says, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served as a slave with me in the gospel or for the gospel. The preposition there is ambiguous. And the idea is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the Lord, exercise lordship, and at the same time is the content of their duty. So they're under the obligation of the gospel and at the same time they are serving there working on behalf of the gospel. And what Paul is yelling, and the Scriptures are yelling at us, as you read this, is imitate him. Follow Timothy. Replicate this man in your church. He's worthy of your imitation. We are to replicate this type of people. These are the people who are so busy serving that when they don't get greeted, when people don't call them, they're not complaining. Do you know why? Because they're busy greeting others and calling others, checking on others. That's the type of people like Timothy. And Paul is calling us to emulate them, imitate this type of people. Today, you should do that. Today, you need to think, how can I put away my interests? Because we are all concerned with ourselves. How can I do that today? Don't leave for tomorrow. Tomorrow is the devil's day. Today, how can I show a Timothy-like character? And God in His grace is giving you many hours today for you to start imitating Timothy. Amen? And now Paul finishes when when he's sending Timothy. So verse 23, I hope therefore to send Timothy just as soon as I see how it will go with me or the things concerning me. And what's taking place here most probably is that Paul is saying, hey, we need to wait. I'm not sending Timothy right now because I trial is coming. So let's wait to see what the trial is going to be like. And then I send Timothy once we have more news. Because it would be worthless to send Timothy right then because they're all concerned about Paul's situation, if Timothy's going to come and say, ah, oh, actually, I don't know what's going on. So, let's wait. As soon as I 
find out more the things concerning my trial, I'll be sending Timothy to you. And look at verse 23. I hope, therefore, to do what? Send. Send Timothy. Remember how he began? I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy. And I circle the word send. Send. Why? Who can be sent but those who are available? Those who are willing to go. Many were unwilling to go. And here you see this word, I hope therefore to send him soon. Timothy is willing to leave behind all the comfort, everything to go and serve others. And let me remind you that going, being sent in those days, was not an easy thing. It was not like just today that you can just buy airfare, get into a plane and leave. You had the risk of shipwreck being robbed, being killed, being murdered. You never knew if you were going to reach there or not. And that's Timothy. Availability. Ready to forsake all to go and help a church that is in need. Sadly, so many Christians in the American church are not willing to be sent. No, are you kidding I have dreams. My plans here. We were even talking last Sunday. Some people are unwilling to go because you don't know if they're going to have the food that you're used to eat here in America. The butter that I like so much. The milk. The coffee. I cannot go. The travel itinerary that lies ahead for Timothy illustrates what having the mind of Christ could cost you and me. And that may make us very uncomfortable. But here's the beauty. When the Holy Spirit comes and stretches our hearts, we see all that cost as actually as gain. So Paul says, here's how he finished verse 24. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So you see this, throughout the, the letter there, there is this, this, this paradox. It's, this is struggle. And that's why it's a farewell letter. Paul, he keeps preparing them for his death. And at the same time saying, I don't know, I might... I'm hoping to keep alive to serve you, but at the same time, let me prepare you that I might die. It's just like an ancient farewell where you're preparing the people for whatever the Lord is bringing. And Paul wants to go. He wants to see them. He wants to hug them. He wants to look at their eyes. Because that's the Christian life. That's what's so sad of so many churches not meeting, not assembling. 
People cannot see each other. And that's why Paul says, I want to come soon and hug you and see you. Paul says, verse, 9, uh, verse 24, and you can match that with verse 19. And there is an inclusion here where Paul finishes very similar the way he began. He began this section by saying, I hope in the Lord Jesus. And now he finishes by saying what? I trust in the Lord. I trust in the Lord. Paul had just talked about the Lordship of Jesus, how he was exalted and he received the name that's above every name. He became Lord of Lords. And now Paul is showing us how to live Practical lives under the Lordship of Christ. And one of the ways is all my plans, all my goals are under the Lordship of Christ. I plan, I prepare, I dream, but actually, ultimately, it's the Lord Jesus who decides. So Dennis Johnson says, with the simple words that break this paragraph, in the Lord Jesus... And in the Lord, Paul is a role model for the Philippians and for us. He shows us what spiritual, spiritually mature, Christ-like planning looks like in the routine decisions of daily life. And that's the glory of the gospel. That's the beauty of the gospel. That God, that the Lord Jesus, did not demand from us more than what He enables us to do. And because of our union with Christ, because we are in Christ, under the domain of Christ, we can and we must hope in the Lord. All our hopes, all our plans are under the Lordship of Christ. Because of our union with Christ, just like Timothy, we can be anxious and concerned about the interests of others, putting away my own interests. Because of the gospel of Christ and my union with Jesus, I can show that I'm ready to go, available. Yes, send me, O Lord. Send me. Where? In the Middle East? Send me. What part of Asia, Lord? What part of Africa? South America? Send me. Because of our union with Christ, because of the Gospel, we can and must be stable, reliable, faithful people like Christ. Because of our union with Christ and the Gospel, we must fulfill the duties of a slave for the Gospel, just like Timothy. And let me remind you that the glory of God is more beautifully manifested, not if you are able to perform 
miracles and wonders and signs and cast uh, the mountain into the sea. The glory of the Gospel is more beautifully manifested when you are breathing replicas of men like Timothy, like Paul, who are imitating Christ. By setting aside my own interests and being concerned, being anxious. When was the last time we were anxious about others? And that's what the Gospel does. That's the beauty of the Gospel. Enlarges our hearts. Transform our hearts. So that we start looking more like Christ. And being more faithful replicas of Jesus. So I praise the Lord. I thank the Lord for many replicas in this church. But we all, always, always, always must be growing exceeding to become more and more faithful replicas. Amen? I hope you enjoy meeting Timothy, a wonderful, wonderful brother in Christ. Lord, we thank You. We thank You for Your love and Your care towards us. Thank You for Your benevolence and generosity that's demonstrated not only saving us and giving us a full revelation, but also giving us faithful replicas of what it is to be Christ-like. Lord, I thank You. I thank You for Your great kindness in placing men and women in our lives who have shown us, who have taught us by example what it means to have the mind of Christ. So empower us today. Today, Lord. Today is the day, not tomorrow. Today is the day for us to run to You and follow after the good examples You have given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.